So, Rian, so much has happened in La Liga as well as the Premier League over the last several days. Barcelona actually playing football instead of getting thrashed around like a ragdoll. Atletico proving that they might be maybe title contenders. Maybe I'll, I'll hold off on that. But and also Real Madrid, you know, completing the the VAR controversy of the weekend and, uh, you know, basically scamming a penalty off of Betis by the uh, the end of that game. So, yeah, that was pretty piss poor. But, Rian, where do you want to start in La Liga? We we talked so much earlier in the week about the Premier League and all the different narratives, as you like to say. Now we're on to Spain and there are a bunch of other narratives. So where where do we start? I think we should start in Catalonia. With Barcelona. Oh, wow. Out of all the stuff that happened this week, it was not a peep from the Barcelona camp. It, it was quiet. It was weirdly normal, a very normal, good performance from Barcelona, uh, who were done and dusted in, in the game after after 45 minutes, up 4-0 against a Villarreal team that we talked about being a potential top four contender. Um in Unai Emery's one of his, in his first match of the season, oof again, just, just, <laughs> just not deal well against big other big teams. But um, Elias, you tell me like the first time in how long that after forty five minutes you're like, wow, that was comfortable, and then the last forty five was also comfortable. No drama, no drama whatsoever. Uh, can, Tell me, tell me, and, and and try to and try to try to keep yourself calm on on the on Sufati talk. As, well. he, as I know, he played he played he played amazingly, and and of course the first goal is so good, and he's he's a missing link. He's a, he he might be the missing link. But but tell me about this dramaless win. For some reason, things were normal, like you said, in Barcelona over the weekend. And I don't really know what to make of that because that's not usually a thing that happens around here. So having a refreshing just peace of mind that you can look at your team and think, wow, they're going to win this or they should at the very least win this comfortably. It, it was it was really, really comforting. We have been through hell and high water in the last six months. Just, I, I, I needed this. I needed this. Because our schedule coming up is Celta Vigo away, Sevilla, um, I believe Real Sociedad, and then Real Madrid. So, yeah, we've, we've got a pretty tough schedule coming up. So, but let's focus on what happened this weekend. Barcelona played shockingly well, in the, especially in the first half. A lot of what... I think this Barcelona team missed, uh, and, and I've talked about this over the last six months or so. It, it, it's basically, I'd say, two to three major things. One is this Barcelona side, with all of their flaws, still did not have a proper winger. They did not have someone to exploit the spaces, the wide spaces, and they relied too much on basically a, stri- a striking slash attacking partnership of. Suarez and Messi, and I'm not even going to mention Griezmann because he was played wildly out of position. So relying on two slow guys in the front is not going to really get you very far. Messi can do a lot, but we saw the the limitations with that structure in the last basically nine months. 
So that's number one. We were missing wingers. Number two, we were missing a defensive structure with, and I can't stress this enough, creative midfielders. Creative midfielders. What is that like? What is it like having Frankie de Jong play in his actual position? What is it like actually having a midfielder, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, in Pjanic that knows where the attacking line is, that knows to put the ball in a forward position, not a sideways position like some other players that have you know left the club this summer have actually done. So going back to this game, right, two things Barcelona lacked wingers and creative midfielders in their position. Two things that I thought were solved very, 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 very well in this, in this first half, especially I will say Busquets, I don't think had a great game, but all of the whole structure of this four, two, three, one that, you know, Ronald Koeman put together, it just, it shined because Barcelona were able to exploit the, the wide spaces of Villarreal Right. They were able to get past a, you know, a midfield of Coughlin and Parejo that quite frankly really didn't put up too much of a fight. Right. The spaces were there. The channels were there. The players were in the right positions. Just everything was fluid. Everything was dynamic. There was a sense of intensity. There was a sense of, of pressure that we have not seen in years come out of this Barcelona team. A lot of it aided by some of the youngsters, especially coming off the bench. Pedri, Trincao amazing, amazing young players. And, and honestly, what this team needed, this team needed an injection of youth and injection of fresh, basically ideas into this team. And, and they got in and starting to show it, it showed a little bit in preseason, but now a little bit more in La Liga, where it's obviously much more important. I'm not going to get, I guess, too much Rihanna, as you said, on the, the Ansu Fati train. I, I saw a lot of things on Twitter and, and I think this is natural about Messi's stats when he was coming up from, you know, the B team to the first team and the blah, 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 goal scored at what age. I don't care about that. Here's why I don't care about that. First off, Ansu Fati is never going to be Lionel Messi. There will never, ever be anyone like Lionel Messi ever again. There will never be that anyone that matches him. There will never be anyone that will ever be as good as Lionel Messi. So once again, I say, jot that down. Because it's not going to happen. So don't put that expectation on a literal 17-year-old. He's literally a teenager. Second reason, I will have to admit that I wasn't able to watch the first half of this game live. So I went back and, and watched it afterwards. But the one thing that I that kind of, you know, when I saw Ansu's name come up in the score notifications on my phone while I was driving, I, I all I could think about was Bojan and his track record at Barcelona and how it didn't work out from when he was a teenager, right? A, a player that came up at the peak of Barcelona, you know, during the, the Pep era, Pep era, and it was played a lot, you know, contributed heavily and even started, I think he started at Classicos, a, a player that was really, really, really talented, but through, you know, multiple different variables did not end up fulfilling his actual promise. And that scares me a lot. And I don't want Ansu Fati to, to become that player and I do think he's in a better position than Bohan or Bojan to, to avoid that because he can start to become the focal point of a younger team. He can start to become a player within his own caliber that can take on uh, opponents on his own merit, right? He has the character, the boldness to go at people, right? Bojan, for example, was, was basically surrounded by a peak Messi 
a peak David Villa and a peak Pedro, all of whom were amazing. And it was pretty hard to, I don't even want to say compete with that because obviously it is, but it's also hard to make a name for yourself. It's hard to make a, a character for yourself and really understand who you are as a player. Ansu Fati doesn't have any of that. He has a broken team coming off a of Bayern loss who, quite frankly, looks like should never have been in Europe in the first place. And so there's nowhere to go but up for him. That's why I have a little bit more faith in, and I think renewed promise in this team, largely because of how refreshing they look after this past two weeks or so, and also because of Ansu Fati. Uh, it's nice to, to say that you can bring Dembele off the bench in the second half, right? Dembele is now depth for us. It, it, which is just something that we have not been able to say in the past. It was Messi Suarez Dembele, you know, two, three years ago with God knows who on the bench. And so it, it's, it's a different feeling. It, it's a different, just as I like to say, sensation for, uh, for Barcelona the, after, after that just emphatic win against Villarreal. So I'm, I'm very, very much looking forward to the next several weeks. Yeah, well, first don't don't put that evil on on Sufati. Come on, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Don't put that evil. Don't put that Boyan evil on him. All right. Let's, but uh, no, he, he was fantastic. But interesting that the four two three one worked out. Elias, uh, oh my god, <laughs> I know it's coming. <laughs> I think about a year ago, somewhere just around this time when it looked like the Griezmann thing just was so weird and he did actually play on the right wing again today, which is, which I'm not a fan of again, but four, two, three, one. I said last year that the best case scenario for Barcelona was, Griezmann playing just in behind the striker and Messi out to the right. And on the left, I, I don't remember who it was at that time, honestly, who the left winger was. It could have been Fati. It was get, no, it wasn't Coutinho. It was Fati. Crap. I, was, I thought it was Coutinho. Coutinho played in the tent, but yes, sorry. Continue. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. But, but, but like that was the best. I, I thought that that was where they had to move to was four, two, three, one, just because, because of the Griezmann signing. I mean, that's what changed it. You can't play. I still don't think you can play four, three, three with Griezmann. It's, it's he and Messi operate in the same space. And to have one of them try to play out wide now, especially Messi at his age at this, um, in this point in his career, crazy. It's crazy, but you know, it's a great first step. I, I love, I love a potential pivot of Busquets and Frankie de Jong, not playing Frankie de Jong as like an eight trying to get into the box. So as much as we saw at times right. last season. So it's, it's, it's so funny. Step. Yeah, it's so funny that the Dutch national team coach knows how to best use lies, his best Dutch national team player. So funny how that works out. But yes, I, I do love that position for Frankie de Jong. I, I don't even know, I will say, if Busquets is going to be a starter this season. Uh, I think there's a pretty decent argument to be made that Pjanic actually becomes that person next to Frankie de Jong. I thought he had a great game on Sunday. Um, but th- I think the that would be effective as well, it, yeah. Exactly. It, it's a familiar position for, for him and it, 
it, it just makes sense, right, structurally to to play the four two three one. And I can't believe I'm saying that because I'm someone who's married to the to a four two three. But for the players we have right now, um, especially your Trincaos, your Pedries of the world, or, or you know up and coming youth, it, it makes sense for them from an attacking perspective to be able to play on the wings, the, on the wings. And I, I think the four two three one allows them to do that even more so when there's actually available spots on the pitch. So, yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm very excited for, for what's to come in the next couple of weeks because we have a lot of big tests, right? Sevilla away, the Classico, Real Sociedad, Celta Vigo away, all major, major tests in the next month. So I'm curious to see how Komen deals with it. Uh, I, I got to say I, I'm a little happier, but again, expectations are tempered. Well, while Elias will fake like he has tempered expectations, we'll see how Barcelona comes along in the next next few weeks, um, especially as Pjanic probably works his way into the team more. Shall I move on to probably the most surprising, not because of the actual result, but Atletico Madrid... Absolutely battered Granada 6-1 this weekend. And I can't believe it, but they actually unleashed Jao Felix. And then eventually, Luis Suarez, who I expected that we would be seeing the corpse of Luis Suarez this season, (laughs) but Luis Suarez comes on and scores two just... Luis Suarez goals where he's in the, where he's in a perfect position and the finish is very good. It, that, really, that, so I, mean, I, I, I mean, <laughs> we haven't seen, we haven't seen Simeone play Costa and Suarez together, but it seems quite obvious that we're going to see that probably very soon. <laughs> and, and I mean, I am very nervous to watch that because I will just be very afraid that someone is going to get deathly injured on the other <laughs> side. <laughs> so, or even on Atletico's own team, honestly. <laughs> so uh, tell me like what, what was so impressive about Atletico's uh, victory this weekend? I mean, scoring six goals, always extremely impressive, but in terms of as the performance and and maybe even uh, specifically on what we saw from you know Jao Felix just given the reins, uh, yeah. What was most impressive? Do you think? So the most most impressive part. I mean, let's start with the obvious: is that Atletico scored goals, right? That it seems obvious, but this has been Atletico's biggest problem in the last two seasons that they have not been able to actually score goals. As crazy as that sounds, they did not have it up an out-and-out striker that was able to score 15-plus goals a season. They just haven't they haven't had him. Um, I said to Rian at the beginning of the season, in our La Liga season preview, I said, Luis Suarez, if he signs for Atletico, is going to score 20-plus you know, goals this season. And I, I I think this is the perfect you know example of why I think that. So let's start with the, the beginning before we get into Suarez. João Felix starting this game, first off, thank you, Simeone, for, for doing something that is against the grain in your philosophy and realizing that you need to do that in order to keep your job. So that's number one. Um, Jean Felix was truly the focal point of this team. 
in the same way that I'm looking at Ansu Fati to become that person over the next three years, Jao Felix is starting to do that just a couple years ahead of him. Um, and what I liked about Jao Felix's game is that he was running at players. He was taking on players. He did that, you know, in the Champions League this past season two over the summer. And he was basically the only reason that Atletico got back into the Atalanta game at all. Um, or was it the Leipzig game? What game? What game? It was Leipzig. Leipzig. It was yeah. Leipzig. Thank you. Sorry. Um, so he was a big part of that. And it looks like he picked up where he left off. Jao Felix is, is, has always had that, I guess, innate ability to, to run at players, to, to create chances on his own. We saw and, it last year, right? In the first, yeah. the first game of the season, he, he makes this amazing run from, from the center, uh, the center circle into the box and wins a penalty. It, it, exactly. That's his biggest strength. And, and honestly, one of his, his biggest pluses, that's what I think Atletico should be looking to, to get from Joe Felix this season. And Granada are, are genuinely a decent side. They were, you know, Europa league focused in the last year or so. And it's not like this was supposed to be a walk in the park. So what's interesting to me is that they were able to score three goals before Luis Suarez came on. I think that's an important point that Luis Suarez was an afterthought for the, the first three goals that they scored. And that is a very, very good sign for any Atletico fan that Joao Felix was able to break into his character a little bit more and actually kind of develop and show that, that progress that he's been able to make as a young player from Benfica. So that's, that's the first point. The second point is let's talk about when Joao Felix went off and Luis Suarez came on. Luis Suarez is going to score 20 plus goals a season because it's, it's in his blood. Like he is, he is just a cold blooded pistol whipping, you know, just molar teeth possessed <laughs> yeah, just yeah. God of the game. I, I'm trying to think of adjectives that are hyperboles, <laughs> but it's, it's not coming to yeah, me, but as, as many vampire references <laughs> as you can make, honestly works. Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of it, but it'll come to me. Luis Suarez, like I was saying, is still one of the world's best strikers. I've said this to Rian that uh, Luis Suarez is best positioned to help your team when he, A, doesn't have to run, and B, he can have a shot from anywhere that is in range. Like, if he doesn't have to run and you put him in the position or any position that's around the 18, inside the 18, he will find a way to score. He, he, that's, that's his biggest strength. The biggest problem with, with Luis Suarez at, at Barcelona, in which is why I think this transfer, you take all the political stuff out of it for a second. This transfer, I think, was amazing for both sides at a sporting level because at Barcelona, Luis Suarez was asked to do things that he does not do well. He doesn't run well. He's not fully fit. His knee has been giving him problems for the last year and a half. So it, it, it doesn't make sense to have an out-and-out striker that can't do any of those things well when Barcelona requires pressing, requires intensity, requires running. But you've seen him at Barcelona score amazing goals because when the, the rest of the team is pressed up and can do that role for him, he's in a better position to shoot and, and create chances. That's when he scored most of his goals. At Atletico, these two goals are the perfect example of what he has to do there. All he has to do is rely on his teammates to get him the ball in 
an area that is around the 18 or inside the 18 and he will make something happen. That's all he had to do. Mind you, he did also have an assist like this game because he is incredibly just well visioned and, and just incredibly technical. Like that is, I think, a part of his game that's underrated. So I, I do think that this transfer was good for, for both sides from a sporting perspective. I obviously wish him the best of luck for a living legend of, of the game and of Barcelona. Um, but it, it should not be underrated that, you know, his influence on this Atletico team will be huge. And so 6-1 is an amazing scoreline, but a, a part of me does think that this is just the beginning. I want to kind of push you on, on one of these, on one of these claims that in that you think it was good for both sides in the sporting sense of giving away of, of Suarez going to Atletico Madrid. I, I totally understand game plan wise. He doesn't fit into Barcelona. Suarez does not fit into Barcelona anymore, but sending Luis Suarez, who if he scores 20 goals this season, he'll still be one of the best strikers. One of the three probably best strikers in the league, uh, considering that, you know, how many, how many are going to, score as impactful goals as he will. That seems a bit short-sighted from Barcelona to give him away to a now what we believe is a direct title rival. I I just wonder if we're going to get to February and Suarez will be on 18 goals or something like that. And his goals are deciding the title. Yeah, so this <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um I, it just goes to show that I can be objective, let me point that out. Um yeah, that is a major concern. So I, I don't know if many people followed this, but right before this transfer was about to go through, Bartomeo basically said to the Luis Suarez and his lawyers, here's a list of clubs that you can you cannot join. But we will come to an agreement outside of these clubs about you know paying a part of your salary so you can go as a free agent or uh, you know we will come to an agreement about your your last remaining payments your wages whatever but here's a list of clubs that you cannot go to that's our only our request the clubs were Real Madrid Juventus um, PSG and I believe Manchester City as well so if you notice I didn't name a specific club also known as Atletico, um, just like Rion mentioned, because Bartomeu was short-sighted enough to not recognize that Atletico Madrid were one of our direct rivals in the league. And so that's a major question, is that does this bring back shades of 2013-14 when Atletico Madrid went to the Camp Nou on the final day of the season and won the league in Barcelona's backyard on the final league day? Does something like that happen again? I'm not saying it happens in the same exact format or anything, but could they keep it close enough where the top three is not really decided until the very last moment? I, I think the answer is yes. I truly think the answer is yes, because like I said, Luis Suarez is still an incredible top three striker in the world. That's not going away. Um, what, what I still have questions about is how Simeone will play him and Diego Costa and João Felix, but yeah, that that's a pretty that's a pretty big oversight. <laughs> yeah, important to note that that 2013-14 um, Atleti side had another Barcelona legend in their team that joined <laughs> yes. that season in David Villa, who, who scored 
He scored in that final day, if I remember correctly. Yep. So, yeah. so scored the title-winning so goal. So. Exactly, exactly. That's that's the biggest fear, and I think that would encapsulate our transfer policy perfectly. But hopefully, that doesn't happen. I uh, yeah, I don't even I don't even think about that. Well, well, we don't have to think about it much longer. So, shall we move on to Real Madrid here? Who? Ah, uh, yes. Did it again. They pulled one out of their ass. They, they once again had to rely a lot on Karim Benzema. And granted, Real Madrid created far more high-quality chances than Betis. But it's, again, a lot of reliance on Karim Benzema, who scored and I believe assisted, or almost had an assist um, a couple times. And, and I think would have had an assist if not for, I believe, an own goal uh, there by, by um, Betis. So, Elias, the most important thing that came from this game was a handball controversy. Uh, again, they did it again. They they end up getting they always end up get the final the final penalty they always end up getting the last the last controversial call of the game last gasp. <laughs> um, Ellis, is this one is this a handball for you? I mean, it's pretty going to be a pretty biased answer, um, but no, I, I mean. It, in what if someone needs to make the argument to me that it is a handball like I, I should not be making an argument to you that in the same way in the um the Manchester United Burnley game Newcastle Spurs game that those were not handball calls or at least one of them was not a handball call um it, it's the same concept that intent does matter and that defenders have arms in natural positions. So you, someone needs to come to me and make the argument that it was a handball. Otherwise I just, I, I just don't know how it was like it, it, it hit like it, uh, it, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because it's Real Madrid, but it's also frustrating because this does happen a lot in football and in general. And so, no, my answer is obviously it's not a handball. It could have been any team in the world that, that did that. I would not have cared. It could have been Real Madrid, honestly, that had that same thing happen to them. I would still have said, no, of course it's not a handball. But that's the era of football that we live in. And so, of course, like Rian said, Real Madrid did go on to win against Betis. I will have to say, though, I mean, I'm trying to be as objective as possible, but they didn't look, I guess, as sharp as one would expect them to look, um, especially coming you know, off of a, a tie against Sociedad. You kind of expect a little bit more against a real, excuse me, a real Batiste side that has not really just, I would say, shined this season so far. Last season, they certainly had their moments, but Batiste will Batiste, as I like to say. So Real Madrid went up against, against the side to later then go down 2-1, uh, of course, having to be saved by Karim Benzema. And now you're in a situation where Real Madrid are basically looking down the barrel of getting two points after two games. And that's a very bad start to La Liga by, by their standards, by Zidane's standards, and does not put them in a good place at all for, for retaining the La Liga title. 
But as we know, good teams, and I like to say this to, to Rian all the time, good teams and high-quality talent always find a way to shine through. Over the course of just an entire season or multiple seasons, good talent always shines through over not as highly rated talent. And I think that was kind of the case in, here, right? It, it was nice to see Jovic get a run out for Real Madrid for once. I, I, I don't really know what to make of Fede Valverde. Um, I still don't think he, he is. did it again. He <laughs> did it again. <laughs> he d- wow. he didn't. He didn't. That's he did. No, he did do it again. Okay. All right. He, He's not that. He it's not loves, that. He, he lives in Elias's head rent free, and he, <laughs> he loves it there. And he's just scoring goals in that in that one part of Elias's brain every week. Fede Valverde is not that good, Rian. I, I don't know how, how many times I have to say it. He ba- he barely started the last nine months for this Real Madrid side, and yeah, I I just don't see him. Being bad. I mean, he's not that good of a player. I recognize good talent when there's good talent. Martin Odegaard is an amazing player, and he is going to be a top, top player in the world and probably is one of the top midfielders in the world already, at least if not the young midfielders. But Fede Valverde is just a boyish version of Casemiro. He's not not that much technical ability. He just runs a lot. Like I've said this before, but we're getting sidetracked with Casemiro and, and Valverde. But... The point I want to make about Real Madrid is that I have not been overly impressed with them. They did a lot of what they did towards the end of, you know, last season in terms of after lockdown of just somehow scraping by. But this almost looks like a different version of Real Madrid where they're not actually scraping by. They're they're going down and having to crawl their way out rather than, you know, scraping out wins. And that's a little concerning for, for me. I think the, the one reason that Real Madrid fans might have to be kind of hopeful is Eden Hazard is coming back uh, very soon. He was selected in the team sheet for their upcoming game so at, at the weekend. So, you know, still things to, to be positive about for Real Madrid. But overall, in terms of form, it's not this. They just don't have the same or it doesn't appear to be same level almost to tenacity that I would say. I, I don't know what it is, quite frankly, but there's something missing, I think, from this Real Madrid team that two months ago that we saw, and now it, it's a little different. Yeah, I think I think especially during the restart, I don't feel like they ever looked that dominant, uh, even, in, even, in the, even in the pursuit of them um, chasing down Barcelona. It always felt more like Barcelona was falling apart as Real Madrid was staying steady, right? There's, this team relies a lot on the high-level talent. So when you go into a game and they're not really playing with wingers, with their normal wingers, they're, they're playing two up top. Jovic is still not quite shining as much as we would expect him to at this point. And it's now been a year and, and it's maybe not time to get extremely worried about him, but um, the clock is ticking whenever you're on Real Madrid, the clock is ticking on, you can't be out of form for too long. Um, They miss Eden Hazard. 
and they miss him in the sense that they need another kind of game breaker. They need another game breaker in the team, and and they rely on those so heavily because Zidane isn't some sort of like master tactician and 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 someone who is great at putting together uh, a wealth uh, a I guess well exploited game plan against the opponent and whatnot. This team relies a lot on creativity from the players and, and a cohesion between the players, especially not, not, not even necessarily someone doing it all on their own, but a cohesion between the hugely talented players growing and just becoming its own thing without needing much of tactical guidance that's what they're missing right now is, is, is a player named Hazard who needs to build chemistry with the rest of the players on the team. We saw when he came in last year, the chemistry with him and Benzema was great, was, was, was natural, but he needs to build it with the rest of the team. And, and that's why I think they've looked somewhat wayward um, in a lot of stretches in this first few games. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I, I think it can't be underrated how much Hazard, it, it may not even be goals at first, it may not even be assists, but Hazard's contribution and his just mere presence on the field will contribute a lot to their play by dragging defenders away from Benzema, uh, allowing them to get wider, uh, just generally getting more creative. And I do think that Hazard could be a missing link, albeit I think Real Madrid's been field needs to to start to look, you know, towards getting younger. They've done that with Vinicius and Rodrigo, and they've done a good job of that from their an attacking perspective. Right? If they wanted tomorrow, they could start, you know, Jovic, Rodrigo, and um, Vinicius if they wanted to. But in midfield, you can't really say the same thing about Odegaard, Valverde, right? So beyond just your your big three, so. I, I think that Hazard is a short-term fix to what will eventually start to look like a medium and long-term problem. Um, but Papa Perez finds a way to get around it. So that's what I'm looking for in the short term. Um, the long term, we'll talk about it maybe next year. But that's Real Madrid for now. All right. And I think that brings us just about to the end of the of the pod here, Elias. Anything else you'd like to add from from this weekend in Spain? Honestly, not too much other than Valencia did beat Real Sociedad today um, in a thrilling 1-0 win uh, with Maxi Gomez scoring uh, the winner for Valencia. But Alex Isak, uh, a personal favorite player for Real Sociedad for me, um, of Eritrean descent, and he is also Swedish, um, someone that I've looked to you know, since he was at Dortmund and moved to La Liga, has just has been doing things at Sociedad that a lot of young strikers would love to do. Um, and so he gives me like major Mason Greenwood vibes, but it, like darker. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big, I'm a big Isak fan um, looking out for what he can do this season. And Valencia seem to be getting their shit together. So that's what I would say. Oh, well, it's about time for Valencia. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, and I'm not even sure if I'm quite ready to say they've got their shit together yet. But <laughs> yeah, we might have to wait till like Christmas at the very least to say that. But anyway, with that, guys, I think that does wrap up the La Liga portion. 
of uh of the pod which well was the whole pod but you know it wraps up the la liga portion so with that thank you guys for listening to to this pod we will talk to you guys soon about la liga next week hopefully i'll be talking to you about another barcelona win a real madrid loss and whatever atleti do so with that thank you guys thanks guys